And the message will be available on hopeandpassion.org for download within the next day or two, if you're interested in recording. Um, very excited. God laid this on my heart. As soon as Sharon got a hold of me, I started praying about it. God put it on my heart. Every demon in hell has come against the message, has tried to get me unfocused, uh, down to the point that last night in the middle of the night, I was stricken with one of the worst sore throats I have ever had in my life. I couldn't even talk. And I prayed in the night and I said, God, I know that the enemy is coming against this message. People need to hear what your word has to say. Please heal me. Please take care of me. And uh, I can speak today. Yeah, it's amazing. All kind of stuff has been happening. But I get excited when that happens, you know. I'm an insulin-dependent diabetic. My blood sugar was 301 when I walked into the room today. That's okay. That just gets me excited because the devil's angry. Good thing, right? Amen. So we're excited. Um, This message, God's love greater than you think and everything you need. I was just speaking to some of the people at my table and saying one of the biggest problems that we have even as Christians is we filter God's love through a human understanding of love. And that's heartbreaking. Because it doesn't matter how great the person is that loves you, human love does not compare to the love of God. Amen. And unfortunately, we compare God's love to human love, and a couple of things happen as a result of that. We face unneeded fear, we suffer under unnecessary guilt, and we don't live with the passion God's called us to live with, because we don't have a grasp on His love. And that includes me. I've been in ministry for many, many years, I've been preaching for decades, and God touched my heart with this message and changed me through it. We need to have a grasp on how much God loves us then it's greater than we can ever even imagine, and it's absolutely everything we need. Amen? Amen. So bow your heads with me if you would. Let's pray first. Father, we come before you this afternoon, and we are thankful. We settle in in this moment, and we understand that whenever your people gather together to hear your word, it's a time for miracles. This isn't a pep talk. It's not a seminar. This is your word. And Holy Spirit, we are counting on you to be here with us, We know that you are with us. We're counting on you to work in a special way. I'm praying for people who need to be wrapped up and surrounded in the truth of your love. Lord, so many of us have been hurt and disappointed in life, but we need to know how great you are and how your love forgives and sets us free and holds us when everything else has fallen apart. So I pray that you touch us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. Um, God's love. Here's here's the first test. You ready? God's love. It's a catapult into all the other things that God has for us. All right? God's love is the catalyst and the thing that is going to send you flying into the heart of the salvation that he wants you to have. God's love is the catapult that is going to take you to the place of passion that you're supposed to have for God. God's love is the catalyst. It's the catapult that will enable us to stand with confidence on the day of judgment when Jesus comes back. It's His love that does all of those things. For example, one of my favorite scriptures that I memorized when I was just a teenager is Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. All right? Now, this verse, I have a love-hate relationship with it. How many of you have a love-hate relationship with certain verses? 
You love them because you think that's really great. If I could actually do that, my life would be awesome, but I never can seem to do it. Okay? Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the Lord says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Now, I know what God wants me to have for my salvation. He wants me to repent and then rest. He wants my strength to come not in my own striving, but in my quietness and my trust. But Shelley Prindle is a hyped out type A personality. And I find this difficult. But as I started pondering the love of God, I realized that it is possible to repent and rest. It is possible to have strength in quietness and trust. But it is God's love that has to catapult you to that place. Another thing that God's love does, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. It's high time that the church of Jesus Christ start getting up in the morning and actually... Living and not coming under circumstances, but overcoming through God. And it is His love this afternoon, an understanding of His love that can get you to the place where you're actually living. And then thirdly, and this is a big one for a lot of Christians to understand, 1 John 4, 17-19. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. How many Christians go around and struggle with, oh boy, if Jesus comes back and I face His judgment, what is He going to say about my life? Do you know if we're grounded in the love of God, we should honestly be able to say, I have confidence for the day of judgment. Because look, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. You see that? Fear always has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. So as I grasp His love, I have confidence for the day of judgment. My fears start to dwindle away. And I have what I need to love people the way that I should love them. Amen? And it's God's love that is a catapult for all these categories. That being the case, let's dive in and find out some of the qualities of God's love. Now, uh, I've been a, a preacher of the Word of God for a long, long time, but I also was a teacher, a math teacher. Oh, yeah, yeah. I loved it when I love it. I said it. I, was a, I taught calculus and algebra, and that's what we're going to do this afternoon. Okay. Anyway, so the teacher in me likes to be very organized in thought, likes to be very organized in thought. So I want you to know that when you're leaving today, so that you weren't distracted by it while I'm speaking, uh, my friend Jen and Sharon are going to be at the door to hand these out. These are handouts with all the main points and the scriptures. Because it's not what I say, it's what the Bible says. Amen? So you can take these and study them and, and go over the notes afterwards and then there'll be a test you know, next time I come to speak. Okay, so anyway, I like to think in an organized fashion. So because we know we need the love of God, let's talk about some of the components of the love of God that we're not used to hearing. All right? Point number one, whoops, get to the This clicker works so good. Okay, God's love is infinitely higher. And by the way, I just saw it happen, and this does occur sometimes with me. I tend to get excited and spit while I speak. Now, I just did see a little bit go out this direction, didn't hit you, but 
I actually did. One of the first times preaching to a big church or hundreds of people, one of the guys in the front row, I was going to town preaching about God. I watched it come out in the lighting. I watched it land on the gentleman. And I just said it right there. You know, I just told him. Let's be honest, okay? I did see some spit come out just here, but that's okay. The front row people look out. God's love is infinitely higher. Now, this gets me excited. As a math teacher, I like to talk about infinity. And God's love is infinitely higher. Psalm 36, verse 5 says this. I know you've heard this before. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your righteousness to the clouds. Now, why in the world did King David say, when we're talking about God's steadfast love, it extends to the heavens? Well, David affirmed it again in Psalm 103 and verse 11, says this, it says, As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love to those who fear Him. Now, instead of just thinking of that as poetry, all right, I teach a lot of Christian apologetics. I like to get into reality. God is the creator of reality. Amen? Now, this is poetry, but he's saying something very seriously that you can hang your hat on here. He's saying that his love is as far above us as the heavens are above the earth. Now, what in the world does that mean? When you look up at the clouds or you catch a, you know, a glimpse of a star that could be trillions of galaxies away, you get a feeling for how far away the heavens are above the earth. Amen? You think, wow, that's far. Matter of fact, I'm such a geek that I calculated once. This is, just, this is for free. I'll charge you anything extra for this. I calculated once how far it would take a person who lived 80 years and could walk a 20-minute mile, how long it would take to walk to an averagely distant star. Yes, I did, Jen. 90 million lifetimes to walk to an averagely distant star that you can see twinkling in the sky. So God is really trying to give us some science here. And and speaking of it, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian scientist, scientists now agree that the universe is currently expanding. Expanding at a bounded rate. Through Hubble Space Telescope and other technologies, scientists have looked out into the heavens and the way that the light is coming back to us from other galaxies shows that the galaxies appear to be racing apart from one another. How many of you know that? The universe is expanding. It's a scientific fact as far as we can ascertain. It would be like if the universe were a, a balloon that hadn't been blown up yet. If you could sew buttons on a balloon that wasn't blown up yet and then you began to blow up the balloon, what would happen to the buttons? Grow further and further apart. The universe, as far as we know, is expanding at a bounded rate. Now, that's no accident. God knew that in the year 2013, our technology would lead us to a place to see that the heavens are so high above the earth, we can't grasp it. Amen? There's nobody who can measure how far away the heavens are from the earth. And God means business when He says this. As far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much higher my love is than any human love you could ever understand. So maybe your mother and father have not loved you properly. Maybe you haven't found a relationship or somebody who really loves you the way they should. Do not let that skew your understanding of the love of God. Amen? Because God's love is how much higher? Infinitely higher. He means business when He says this. 
It is greater than we can even fit in our brains how big his love is. All right. Now, second point. Not only is it infinitely higher, but God's love does not vacillate. Now, I was sharing this with somebody before I spoke it, you know, telling about the message. You're like, vacillate? That's a big word. Okay, vacillate. That means fluctuate, change. Now, how many of you agree that we live in a society that is marked by insecurity and fluctuation? Who would agree? I kid you not, I had just finished up this message and had been working on it. I walked into Starbucks one morning to get coffee, looked at the New York Times sitting there on the counter, and there were three big charts across the front of New York Times showing the changes in the stock market, up and down and up and down. All right? Everybody's watching their 401k in the stock market. If it goes up, if it goes down. And we look at the security of our financial situation according to fluctuations. Now, me being an insulin-dependent diabetic, I do many blood tests a day, and I look at a little machine, and if the number is up or the number is down, that tells me how healthy I am. We're looking at medical results and medical charts all the time. My cholesterol up, is it down? Blood pressure up or down? Because that's going to determine how secure I am about my health. So we're looking at numbers to see if we're secure in our finances, numbers to see if we're secure in our health. You know, admit it. You got to you look. How many friends do I have on Facebook? Is it up or is it down today? You know, we're judging our uh, we're judging our social status. How many appointments we have in our little black book? How many friends we've got on Facebook? We're living in a society that is judged by vacillation. Are we not? A very it makes you feel jittery. It makes you feel insecure. Does my hope depend on this fluctuating, this being high, this being low? When I went to Romans chapter 8, which is a chapter many of us have read before, and I got to this portion after thinking about the vacillation and the ups and downs that we are so much looking at, it struck me in a brand new way. This is what the Bible says in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul said, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demonic rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor, say it with me, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Is that beautiful? When you think, when you look at those stock market changes, when you look at your bank account, when you look at the numbers you know, regarding your health, when you look at your social calendar, you remind yourself of this one thing. Neither height nor death. There is nothing that can separate you from the love and the security that you have in God. Amen? Amen. Personal testimony, been an insulin-dependent diabetic for 30 years. Went to my ophthalmologist this last year. I had early-onset cataracts 10 or 12 years ago because of my diabetes. Have to watch bleeding behind the eyes, all kind of issues. Went to my ophthalmologist. He looked across at me and he said, Shelly... No bleeding, no changes in your eye, cataracts. I said, well, what about my cataracts I've had for like a decade? He goes, what cataracts? They're gone. You know, there is, we are secure in Christ, amen? God has not healed me of my disease, and I believe one of the reasons he had it, he knows Shelly Prindle needs a disease to keep her dependent on me. And that's okay if God knows that. I'd rather go to heaven, a diabetic, loving Jesus Christ, amen? But this one thing I know, neither height nor depth, 
in good times or bad, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God because God's love does not vacillate like circumstances do. Amen? Doesn't matter what the stock market's doing. Doesn't matter what your health markers are. Doesn't matter what your little black book looks like. Nothing can stop God from taking care of you and from loving you. So God's love is infinitely higher. God's love does not vacillate. And the reason these things are true is because God is transcendent. Now, I know that's a big word, but we have lost a sense of God's transcendency in our culture. I don't know if you guys realize this, but we're living in a new age culture. A lot of people are getting confused that there's a false spirituality out there that has to do with pantheism. And that is the belief that God is everything and everything is God. And it's a false teaching. And it is all over the place. Okay? From Oprah Winfrey to Gary Zukov to Dr. Phil. Okay, all these people are of a new age, well-meaning, but of a new age persuasion. And so the church of Jesus Christ has lost the thought that God is transcendent. And one thing that I teach in my apologetics courses is you've got to know this and make sure your children understand something. God is above and beyond you. You are not a piece or a part of God. God is not the tree. He's not the mountain. He is outside of His creation. Okay? So what this looks like, I'm a visual person, so I just want to show you. Before God created the universe, there was only one thing that existed. And His name is God. Okay? So God is everywhere. And He was there before He created the universe. Now, I, I realize that the universe may not be a perfect cube. But in my mathematical world, it is. Okay, so we'll talk to God about that when we get there. But whatever we do know, we know the universe is finite because an infinite God created a finite universe. He created the space-time continuum. And any of you apologetics buffs out there, physics buffs know this. The person who made space and time has to be greater than space and time. Amen? Amen? I can only be one place at one time, and that frustrates me. Okay, I can't travel back in the past to fix anything and I can't know the future. But my God is timeless and spaceless. Not spacey, spaceless. Okay, so God is timeless and spaceless. Transcendent means above and beyond this world. So even though God is outside of the world, He chooses to come in and be a part of us with, uh, be a part of it with us. It's important we understand His transcendence. Because that helps us understand the bigness of His love. Amen? People inside this universe that are stuck in space and time are never, ever, ever, ever going to be able to fill you with the love that you need. There's only one person who can do that. And His name is Transcendent Holy God. Amen? Amen. Revelation chapter 4 verse 8, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, whether we're talking about the seraphim or the four living creatures, we know, we've read about this in the Bible, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. That's some kind of sight, isn't it? Can't wait to get there and see that. Okay, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy. Okay, now listen. When we see the seraphim or the living creatures falling down and praising God, this is what they don't say. They don't fall down and say, Mercy, mercy, mercy is the Lord God Almighty. They don't fall down and say, Love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. They don't fall down and say, Wrath, wrath, wrath is the Lord God Almighty. Kindness, kindness, kindness is the Lord God Almighty. They don't. What do they say? 
Holy, holy, holy. Listen, if you're going to understand the love of God, you need to understand His holiness. God loves right because His love is holy love. Okay, God is love, but His central characteristic is holiness, which means transcendence. I know that there have to be people in this room who are familiar with R.C. Sproul. Who's ever heard of R.C. Sproul? Great Bible teacher. This is what he said in his book, The Holiness of God. Now, bear with me. This will change some of your worlds. Listen to this. When we use the word holy to describe God, we face another problem. We often describe God by compiling a list of qualities or characteristics that we call attributes. We say that God is spirit, that He knows everything, that He is loving, just, merciful, gracious, and so on. The tendency is to add the idea of the holy to this long list of attributes as one attribute among many. But when the word holy is applied to God, it does not signify one single attribute. On the contrary, God is called holy in a general sense. The word is used as a synonym for His deity. In other, in, in other words, we call God holy because He's other than we are. Amen? Amen? He is transcendent. Okay, when we talk about people and things in this life being holy, we mean they are set apart for God's purposes. But when we talk about God being holy, you know what we mean, what we mean by that? He is altogether different from me. There is nothing like Him anywhere. Okay? Now watch this. That is, the word holy calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that His love is holy love. His justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy. His knowledge is holy knowledge. His spirit is holy spirit. We have seen that the term holy calls attention to the transcendence of God, the sense in which He is above and beyond this world. Now listen to me. On a Valentine's Day dinner, I'm not talking to you about some kind of mushy, only romantic, wishy-washy, fuzzy kind of love. Because we don't need that. We get enough of that. What we need is to know there is somebody who loves us perfectly. And there's another way to say that. God loves you with a holy love. He is love, but His love is holy. That's why when I take vengeance on people, it's a mess. Because my vengeance is not holy vengeance. When God pours out His wrath, it'll be right because God's wrath is holy wrath. I want to tell you something. When God loves you, He loves you perfectly. Because His love is, say it with me, holy love. He is transcendent. He is altogether different. Because God is holy, that's why His love is so reliable. Now, think about this for a minute. People with the best of intentions may say, I love you. And if something ever happens, I'll be there for you. How many have ever heard that line? (laughs) And then we have people who are. But think about this. God alone is the only one who never gets sick, grows tired, or dies. Alright? Isaiah 40.28 says, He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. I don't care who you find in your life as a human being. Something as simple as a cold virus or a bout of influenza can stop somebody from being there for you when you need them to be there. Amen? 
People just grow tired. Whether physically tired or just sick of us. Amen? People grow tired. Alright, people grow weary. People die. How many of you have ever lost a loved one? You think, what am I going to do without them? Amen? Because we are finite, but God is holy. He's the everlasting God. He doesn't grow tired or weary. There's never going to be a day where God says, don't come back to me again because I'm sick of you. Or I'm too, I'm too tired to come to you. Amen? He will always, always, always be there because He is holy. He is altogether different. Here's another one. God does not forget or neglect us. Now, I want to pause here for a minute because this, is, this one's dear to my heart because of a situation that I have in my own life with relatives, nephews. Um, people who shouldn't neglect us sometimes do. And things can happen to you through the course of your life and people can hurt you and emotionally abuse you and all kinds of things can happen to you where you are forgotten or neglected by a human being and it can break you. Amen? Amen. And that's why we should not be depending, not be depending, enjoying at times, but not depending on the love of human beings. Isaiah 49.15 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's an example of how God's Word is brutally honest. And how many of you are thankful for that? This Bible never talks about something that isn't real. Isaiah 49.15, this is God talking, and He says, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Okay, so she's got her child on her bosom. She's nursing her child. God says, Can a mother forget her nursing child? And have no compassion on the son of her own womb? And you would think that God's going to come back with the answer, No way! I've rigged all mothers to love their children perfectly. But God is brutally honest. Now listen, here's what it says. Can a mother forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? God says, Even these may forget. But I will not forget you. Amen? That is a beautiful scripture. And I've had to share it with people and say, look, we are messed up. And there are people that should love you, that wrong you, and neglect you. And God recognizes that. And He says, my love is so infinitely higher, does not vacillate. I am holy. And when people that you should be able to depend on, you cannot, I will not forget you. Amen? God can repair and restore the worst of a situation. And then we have God never fails to show up. I love this one. I remember one time, um, if I say this on the tape, then she'll end up being able to hear it out there on the Internet. But, okay, here it goes. I was really good friends with and taught for about a decade with Jenny Marsalis. Don't listen to this, Jenny, out in cyberspace. Okay, she is the director of children's, the children's director at Cornerstone Church, okay? And we were really good friends as teachers, and then she left to go to Cornerstone, and then I eventually left and got into ministry at Norman Alliance. And we try to keep up with each other once or twice a year. We try to get together, and we always get together at King's. She's a very busy lady. She was coordinating camp one year, and we had, we had made this plan for like over a month. Okay, we're going to meet at King's at such and such a time. I go to King's. I wait, and I wait, and I wait. Jenny, it just never showed up, okay? 
Still to this day, I've never told her that she didn't show up. So now she knows, all right? I sat there and I waited. And I honestly realized in talking to her a little bit later that she it totally escaped her that we were ever to meet. She never did know until now. She's listening here. Okay, so sometimes people just don't show up. Now, maybe it's because they forget. Maybe it's because their car breaks down. Maybe their flight is delayed. But there are going to be times when you're going to need people. And guess what? They aren't going to be there for you. But God is, what is He? He's holy. He's altogether different. So the Bible says in Psalm 104, verse 3, that He lays the beams of His upper chambers in the water. Listen, He makes the clouds His chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. Somebody who can make the clouds His chariot can always get to you. Amen? Amen. So God is always going to show up. And then, God is not selfish. Sometimes people just wrong us because we're selfish. Right? In the core of me, without Jesus, I am a self-centered jerk face. Yes, I'm saying it. Shelly Prindle is a jerk. I can be the biggest jerk. Deuteronomy 32.4 says this. He is the rock. All His ways are perfect. He is upright. He is holy. There is nothing wrong in God. He will never be selfish and He will never hurt you because He's just all about Himself. Amen? Because God is holy. His love is reliable. Now this, I've I got to share, is recently my most favorite. God is faithful. Um, not too long ago, my husband, for the first time in our married life, got pretty ill. And he's never been sick in our married life. And so it was odd for me. I'm always the one with the disease, you know. He got very sick, ended up in intensive care. Uh, I almost lost him. His blood pressure dropped so low in the emergency room. Uh, he ended up needing a blood transfusion. He's okay now, but we don't have any children. And, uh, you know, it was an odd situation to think that I might lose my husband. I remember being in the emergency room and a friend was there with me. And I remember saying to her, I know God's here in the emergency room with me. Okay? But I also remember standing at my husband's bedside or going home alone in the middle of the snowstorm while I was hospitalized, trying to travel back and forth to ICU hours, feeling spent myself. My disease was out of control. And I also remember... Thinking at times, where in the world are you, God? Are you even there? Do you know what I'm going through? How many of you have ever done that? Okay, that's called unfaithfulness on my part, all right? There there were actually moments where I didn't trust Him. Yes, I'm admitting it. I'm speaking to you, and Sharon still is allowing me to speak to you, even though I'm a Christian who's saying, there are times when I don't trust God. And God reminded me of this verse. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. Not to Shelley Prindle. She doesn't get any credit. But to your name be the glory. Because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. It is never because Shelley Prindle is faithful that God takes care of me. Amen? And it's high time we start realizing that. God used that to show me, Shelley, I take care of you because I am faithful. You are not faithful. And I, being a visual, graphic, mathematics type person, want to show you this in visual form in a minute. I want to take you to one more scripture, 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. This is a trustworthy saying. Look, if we die with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Now check this out. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. 
Okay, God is a God who gives people dignity. If you want to raise your fist to God and say, I never want anything to do with you, I don't believe in you, I don't care about you at all, get out of my life, then God will respect you. Amen? You deny Him, He'll deny But check this out. If we are faithless, that's different than denying Him. That's what I was doing. If we are faithless, He remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. See, it's within God's character to be totally faithful. It's not in mine. If God were to desert me when I was faithless, He would deny His own character. Are you with me? So I want to speak to some of you. The Holy Spirit wants you to know something. If you have failed God in any way, shape, or form, God still remains faithful to you. Amen? Now watch this. This is going to take all of Bria's skill here because this is a lot of bouncing around. You'll see in a minute. This arrow represents the way I should be faithful to God. This is how I should walk with Him, steady and sure. This arrow represents the way I really do walk with God. Okay? I go along and I'm serving Him at some times and then all of a sudden, I fall off. Has anybody ever fallen off? Yeah. Okay? I fail Him. I sin. I don't have the faith in Him that I should. Whoosh, I fall off. And here's what the devil wants you to think. Oh, when you fall off, you go down into the black hole. You fall off and I'm going to pull you down. You're done. You fall off, you can't expect God's blessing anymore. You fall off, you're finished. Might as well give it up. That's what the devil wants you to think. Amen? God showed me something. He showed me that that is not true. This part is true. I am faithless at times. But Deuteronomy chapter 32 says that underneath are the everlasting arms. Amen? My faithfulness never came from myself. My faithfulness came from this red line which represents Jesus Christ. My faithfulness is built on the rock, the everlasting transcendent God. And under Shelley Pringle's faithfulness, the source of my strength is the faithfulness of God Himself. Amen? So here's what really happens when I'm faithless. Here's me. I'm the blue dot. And I'm cruising along in life. And all of a sudden I fall off. And that's what happens. I don't fall into the black hole. My God bounces me right back up off His faithfulness and back on the trail I am. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's awesome. You need to know that about God's love. Amen. I hope some of you visual people, that helps you to see it. This is so clear. God spoke this so clearly to me and He wants you to know, don't you give up, don't you give in to the lies of the enemy. You confess your faithlessness to God and God remains faithful and He'll put you right back up on that blue line. There was some spitting going on there, I'm telling you that much. It was worth it though, right? Okay, now here's another point, just a few more points. God's love is action, not reaction. Now we are so used to reacting to love. You know, if you love me good enough, then I'll feel good and I'll love you back. We're used to reaction. Listen to this. Let the Holy Spirit get this into your heart. 1 John 4.10 God is going to define love. In this is love, he says. In this, this is the definition of love. And you would think he's going to come off with this great poetic definition of love. And I'm like, God, you're using a negative to describe your love. He's going on purpose. Listen, in this is love. This is what he said to me, looking down at me. Shelly, this is love. You didn't love me. I loved you. Now listen, this is big. This is life-changing. In this is love. 
Not that you loved him. That's freeing. Because I didn't. And then because I don't. I still don't love him as I should. It is freeing for me to know that God's love is never reaction to how much I love him. It is action. This is the definition of love. Not that you love God, but that God loves you and sent His Son to be the propitiation for your sins. There's a wonderful and glorious comforting word. Let's all start sending out cards to each other. Jesus is your propitiation. Wouldn't it be nice? I'm going to start a line of cards. Hope and passion cards. Here we go. Propitiation across the front. No, this is love. First of all, God says, this is love. Not that you love me. And that should free some of you in here. Because if you're thinking, I don't love God right. I don't know if I love God right. Yeah. Okay, let me just clear it up for you. You don't. You don't. You don't love Him right. That's not the definition of love. Love flows from God. God did not start loving people when He created them. Check this out. God is triune. From eternity past, before He ever created the universe, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all three, say it with me, loved each other perfectly. Love is not an invention for human beings. God is love. He loves all three together perfectly from eternity past. He's the reason that we have love. Amen? Okay, now, He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a beautiful word. Do you know what that means? That simply means this. God appeased His own wrath against me. Now, I deserve God's wrath. I am a dirty, rotten, selfish sinner. And I deserve nothing but the holy justice of God. And I'll tell you something. If God is not just, if He does not punish sin, if there is not a hell, I don't even want to serve Him. Okay, I just shared with my apologetics class not too long ago. Hell is not evidence for atheism. We should be thankful for hell. If God is not just and He doesn't punish what's going on in this world, then I don't even want to serve Him. But I deserve that wrath. So propitiation is a big fancy word that means God appeases his own wrath against us. Now watch this. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, I'm not joking around. If you don't believe in who Jesus really is, the wrath of God is sitting on top of you. And that's why you don't have any peace and that's why you're so miserable. Because the wrath of God is sitting on you. And it gets worse. It's not just going to sit on you in this life. It's going to sit on you for all of eternity. Now watch this. This is what propitiation means. Again, I'm a visual kind of graphic person. All sin. Okay? Now there's all kind of categories of sin that we give. There's people who shoot down children. That's sin. People who rape people. That's sin. People who abuse people. That's sin. People who gossip about each other. That's sin. Me being selfish and not reaching out to you. That's sin. Okay? Sin is ugly and it's damning and it's got to go somewhere. It's got to be dealt with. If God doesn't deal with it, then He doesn't care. He cares. It's going to be dealt with. Now, I want to tell you something that is incredibly important for every person to understand. I don't know if a pastor or teacher has ever articulated it to you this way before. All Sin will go one of two places. All sin will rush to one of two points in the end. Now, this is the truth. My sin, Bria, if you just hit it one more time, just bring all that up. 
the other one too. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And he is infinite. Okay? I'm a finite creature. God is infinite. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross. And um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on my behalf. Now, this is really important. Jesus didn't just die for my sin. He became the sin offering for me. Now, this is huge. So, 2,000 years ago, in the space-time continuum, back there in actual history, a man named Jesus Christ, who is 100% man, 100% God, died outside the city of Jerusalem on a cross. And because he's God, he's infinite. All of the sin that I have ever done, spoken, or thought in my life, all the sin I commit today, all the sin I'll commit until I die, listen to this, is on Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago. That's where it is. Now, if you choose not to put your sin on the God-man 2,000 years ago, there's one other option. You keep the wrath of God. Hold it on yourself. The only problem is, since God is infinite, He could absorb an infinite amount of sin in one moment. We are finite. If I tried to pay for my own sin being a finite being, do you know how long it would take? Forever. I could never get it done. That's why hell lasts forever. Because it's got to be paid for. So listen to me. This is propitiation. If you believe on Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is removed from your head and put on the God-man 2,000 years ago and absorbed and forgiven That is, my friends, propitiation. Amen? Amen. God's love is action, not reaction. And then, my last point, last thing I want to say about God's love, but this is going to be the, this is the cutest by far, all right? God's love reaches down. Psalm 36.5, we talked about, we already said, your, your love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. You skip down to verse 7 of Psalm 36. It says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. That phrase has always intrigued me in the Bible for years and years, and I never really looked into it. But I'm a bird lover. All right? I like to watch birds. I am a true geek. I'm a bird watcher. And so, me being under the shadow of God's wings has always intrigued me. Now, one thing that I think it has to do with, of course, is when you go back to the Old Testament into the Holy of Holies, you've got the Ark of the Covenant. And we don't have time to go into a big history lesson. I don't know how much background you have in this. But God's manifest Shekinah glory dwelled on top of that mercy seat under the wings of the cherubim. And so, one thing God is trying to say is, We can take refuge, we can take safety in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Under the shadow of His wings. Now, let's move a little bit further. Let's go to the New Testament. Because what intrigued me was, when I think about us taking refuge under the shadow of God's wings, I find that when God put on flesh and came to the earth, Jesus Himself talked about this. 
Now, we know that Jesus wept over Jerusalem because Jerusalem was supposed to be the capital city, the center of worship, and Jerusalem ended up to be a pretty rough place. And Jesus wept over it in one instance, and then in this instance, he goes to Jerusalem, and this is what he says about them. This was supposed to be his precious city, the place that worshipped him, okay? He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. I mean, that's a pretty big indictment. You were supposed to be the center of worship, and this is what you turned out to be. Now, we're shaking our heads. Everybody's like, yeah, dirty, rotten Jerusalem. Yeah. Shelley Brindle, you were supposed to be the center of worship. You're supposed to be my temple. And you throw me off all the time. Amen? This is personal. Now, watch this. There's some evidence in the Bible of what happened, whether we go back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Uh, this was a priest in the temple of God. Pastor the priest, the son of Immer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pastor beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in stocks. Right there at the gate of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. See, Jesus wasn't kidding. This is what had happened in the past. Another example comes from Second Chronicles. Um, all the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following what the other nations did. They polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by messengers because he had compassion on them in his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God and despising his word. Amen? So whether we go in the past or whether we talk about the New Testament where Jesus was crucified outside the gates, or how the church of Jesus Christ was persecuted and had to spread out from Jerusalem because of all that was done to them, here's the bottom line. Jesus could stand with all integrity and say, Jerusalem, you're the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. And he would think the next words out of his mouth, I mean, if I were God, the next words out of my mouth would be, and so you dirty, rotten scoundrels. That's what happens to you. That's if I were God. Here's what God really said. Jesus said, all that's true about you? And I want you to make this personal. Because you're supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the devil wants to look at you and say, all that's true about you, so you're down and done with. But here's what Jesus says. All that's true about you. But how often, check this out, would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Listen, transcendent God came to earth and said this, I am going to liken myself to a domestic fowl, a hen, to express to you how I feel about you. Amen? Amen. Now, let me show you how awesome that is. Jesus said, here's a simile, I am like a, everybody say, hen. hen. Jesus is like a hen. They're going to say, what are the crazy people teaching over there? And Jesus, yeah, Jesus likened himself to a hen. Now, here's why. Oh, everybody say, aww. Now, that's not a hen. <laughs> For those of you who aren't bird watchers, this is a dove, okay? This is a dove, yes. Okay, isn't that cute though? Just look at that picture. Mother dove and she has her babies under her wings. But it gets even better when you talk about hens. It really does. Why does Jesus call himself a hen? Now look at this. Now that mother hen, she's, okay, let's just not, 
you know, she needs a makeover. But, <laughs> but the thing is, she, she, can't you see the fierceness in her eyes? You get over here, buddy. There's something coming. Get over my wing, okay? Isn't that, isn't that a, listen, while you're looking at this, I want you to think of this verse, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Is that beautiful or what? You've failed me miserably. You've sinned against me. But this is what I wanted to be for you. Amen? Now watch this one. Here's another one. Oh, look at those two little peeps. Let's just look at that for a while. I know, all the girls, aww. And men, if you're afraid to say aww, if you're sitting by a man that won't say aww, just slap him. Because, because Jesus said he was like a hen. So all these men should be proud to say, I'm like a hen with my babies. Okay, so that is so cute. That is very cute. But it's going to get better. I know you think it can't get any better than this. Why did Jesus say it was like a hen? Okay, watch this. I don't know if you can see it from back there. Does a hen really have 300 feet? Isn't that cool? Look at that. Those babies, those chicks are so hidden under that hen, it looks like a hen has 300 feet. I love it. She's gained a little bit of weight, and she's like, but look at the look on her face. She's like, yeah, just try it. You know what I'm saying? They're mine. Okay. Oh, yeah, she's saying, what are you talking about? There's nobody else here. <laughs> okay, something like that. But that is really, really cool. Now, I want to read something to you before I show you the last picture of a hen that I have. Believe it or not, there are people who do things like this. I got on the Internet, and there's a woman whose name is Karen Davis. I want to give her proper credit. She has a Ph.D., and apparently she spent most of her life studying hens. Yeah, chickens and hens. The website is United Poultry Concerns, and she wrote, now she might be listening to us on the internet, and she wrote a big dissertation on the social life of chickens. Okay? Now, I'm thankful for Karen Davis, I truly am, because I wanted to know from an expert, what are hens really like? Because the God who made hens likened himself to one. What's he trying to say? Now, if the pictures aren't enough, here's what Karen Davis said. Let me put my reading glasses on. I'm only 23, but I need reading glasses. Okay. Watching Eva travel... Now, first of all, Eva is the hen that this woman studied for a long time. She's a mother hen, okay? Watching Eva travel around the yard outside the sanctuary fence with her tiny brood close behind her was like watching a family of wild birds whose dark and golden feathers blended perfectly with the woods and foliage they melted in and out of during the day. Periodically, at the edge of the woods, Eva would squat down with her feathers puffed out and her peeping chicks would all run under her wings for comfort and warmth. A few minutes later, the family was on the move again. Throughout history, now again, this is a woman who's an expert. She says, throughout history, hens have been praised for their ability to defend their young from an attacker. I watched Eva do exactly this one day when a large dog, now picture this, a large dog, wandered in front of the magnolia tree where she and her chicks were foraging. With her wings outspread and curved menacingly toward the dog, she rushed at him over and over, cackling loudly, all the while continuing to push her chicks behind herself with her wings. 
The dog stood stock still before the excited mother hen and soon ambled away in embarrassment. But Eva maintained her aggressive posture of self-defense, her sharp, repetitive cackle, and attentive lookout for several minutes after the large dog was gone. My dad told me a story that he was watching the History Channel, and a mother hen was with her chicks, and the mother hen spotted a giant snake. I love this. This is beautiful. And knowing that that snake was going to eat somebody, the, the mother hen walked straight over to the mouth of the snake and let the snake eat her. And I said to my dad, thanks for telling me that before I spoke this message. It was just a couple of days ago. The love, the aggression that a mother hen can have, the ability, the way God made a mother hen to be able to hide chicks under her like this is absolutely beautiful. And this encapsulates the whole message I've been trying to tell you. God is transcendent. His love doesn't vacillate. It's infinitely high. God's love reaches down. Amen? God's love is action, not reaction. He's going to cover you. He's going to protect you. He's going to be there for you. And so I want this one last image of the hen to be the thing that sticks in your mind. Watch this. Look at that. There are all those legs. One brave little soul says, I'm going to look out and see what's going on. But the thing I like most about this is this hen is going somewhere with her chicks. She's taking them down the road. Bria, if you'd bring up the last slide. Your steadfast love, O Lord, is before my eyes, and I will walk in your faithfulness. Amen? Listen, God doesn't give you and show you and teach you about his love for you to just sit. He's going to take you down that road. It doesn't matter what road you have to travel when you leave here this afternoon, what road you travel tomorrow, what the road looks like years and years ahead, what you're going to face. Amen? Jesus says, how I long to gather you as a hen takes her brood under her wings. And no matter where the enemy is or what he's trying to do, I will walk under the shadow of God's wings. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me, please. Thank you, Jesus, so much. It's hard to believe when we study and talk about your transcendence and your holiness that you are willing to condescend and reach down to us and say, you know what? I'm like a mother hen and I'm not ashamed to say it because I want my people to know my love for them. So God, I just want to pray over everybody that's in this room today, including me and the way you've touched my heart with the message. For anyone in this room who needs to be reminded that your love is infinitely higher. doesn't matter who's let us down, who's hurt us. You aren't like people. You're altogether different. For those who need reminded that your love does not vacillate, doesn't change with circumstances, that you are a security in a world of insecurity. God, I thank you that your love does not vacillate. I thank you, Lord, that your love is action, not reaction. And that love is defined not by what we do for you, but what you do for us. That you are faithful, Lord. If we are faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself.
praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your protection, for your grace, for your mercy, for being the propitiation for our sins. And that the wrath of God no longer has to abide on us if we believe in Jesus. If anyone believes in the Son, he has everlasting life. If anyone does not believe the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. I thank you for that truth that we can look to you. And Lord, may the image of the mother hen and all the little legs underneath and walking down the road, may that literally help us to remember what you've said. Your steadfast love is ever before us, and we will walk in your faithfulness. And I thank 